those of you that uh, were aware that I was away the last couple of weeks, where was I? China and Vietnam. It was uh, a full trip. Uh, we took, uh, me and two friends of mine, ended up taking 13 flights in 15 days. And uh, that's way too much time on a plane, since some of those flights were 14 hours. Uh, it was a long journey, but I think it was well worthwhile. We had the opportunity to visit just about 70 missionaries that are on the ground in Vietnam and China that are connected to us in some way or another. Um, and, and I wanted to say it, I, I don't want to take a lot of time. If you want to know more about the trip, you can talk to me personally. Uh, I, I don't want to bore you. But I, I want to say this. Uh, I've taken quite a few trips around the world uh, in the last many years. Uh, some of you have actually gone with me. But I think in many ways this trip was unique. Number one, that just like the trip that John and I made several years ago, we went specifically to meet with and to encourage our missionaries. And one of the things I want you to understand is that these missionaries, and it's been several years since we were there to visit them for that reason with John and I, um, these missionaries said, you need to hear me. You are the only one who has come to visit. We haven't had another visitor since. Here they are halfway around the world living in a land with a language that is not English. Though they are learning and are getting better and better at Chinese, that doesn't mean they've got it all down. Culturally, there are still things that they face on a day-by-day -day basis. And they live under the constant scrutiny and suspicion of a government that looks askance at us. Though they want us to come and they want us to spend our dollars there, they want to know why you're there and what you're doing. And so, for example... Uh, during, not this particular time, but uh, about, I think it was a couple of weeks ago, one of the groups we met with had just a party with a bunch of friends that they had witnessed to and who had gotten saved in their apartment. So it was just a party. That's all it was. There was no preaching, nothing going on. But because the neighbors saw it, the neighbors called the police and they were raided. They live under that constant level of stress and scrutiny. And so for them... It is uh, more important than you might imagine that they have people from the states who actually speak English, who understand what they're about, to come and visit them. And although I, don't, I can't tell you 100%, so I won't say it that way, that they all said it, but the vast majority, when we were leaving, their parting words to me was this. When are you coming back, Pastor Chris? They desperately need it. Uh, I, I would say this as well that every single place we went, there was a significant encounter of one level or another. Uh, in one case, for example, uh, we met with missionaries that we support as a church, and uh, they have started a new business in uh, China, in the, in the northwest province of China called Xinjiang, and uh, they are doing a good work there, a cafe there, but, you know, they have been under so much stress in recent days from starting the business, jumping through all the hu uh, hoops that the government required, being turned down, having to change locations, do it all again, all the money they expended. So when we came for them, they said, and they used the words, this is like for us an oasis in the midst of the storm. Uh, on, on another occasion, I was meeting with a larger team. And uh, when I got done speaking, I prayed for everybody. Uh, and then uh, when I got done, uh, a couple came who was a married couple with a couple of children. They have been married 
it will be three years before their second child or their first child turns two. So they, they've had children right away, in other words, and they're living in another culture. And they came up to talk to me, and the rest of my time with this whole group was spent doing marriage counseling. They were in desperate need as missionaries, just saying, we feel sometimes like we're going under and we need help. The truth is, whether you know it or not, we have an amazing advantage here. Uh, even though we have a lot of young marrieds that I'm sure live with stress and struggle and wondering, you know, what's going on in my marriage, maybe some of the older ones, like me, maybe you feel some of the same way sometimes, but we have one another we can talk to. We have people right here. So ultimately, uh, these were important encounters, and they wanted me to extend to you repeatedly their appreciation for your willingness to have a worldview and to release me to go as your ambassador to give care to them. So they send their thanks to all of you for being willing to have that kind of vision because this was not a cheap trip. This was costly. And so they were so grateful for it. Uh, we went, by the way, from the northeast side of China to the northwest side. Then we came back centrally to Xi'an. Then from Xi'an, we went to Shangri-La. From Shangri-La, we went to Hanoi, Vietnam. From Hanoi, Vietnam, we went back to Chengdu. From Chengdu, we went to Shanghai. And from Shanghai, we came home. But it was a lot of traveling, a lot of meetings, uh, but I believe it was profitable. So uh, I just want to say to you, thank you for releasing me. And just as we did several times in both China and in Vietnam, I'd like you to open up the Word of God, if you would, with me to Matthew 21. And let me say to you, uh, something that became even more apparent to me in my meetings in China, because we actually did church in China as well as in Vietnam. Let me just say to you this, uh, and again, it struck home so powerfully in these meetings. What you get out of this service and what I preach, okay, so I want you to hear me. What you get out of this is not on me. It's on you. Because I'm not that good of a preacher. And they got a whole lot more out of it than I ever gave. It was like, in, a way, in ways I had never quite felt before, especially in the one setting, I felt like these were young people who sat on the edges of their seat the whole time, sucking it in. And when I got done, the leader of the group said, okay, this is a word from God to us. We need to receive this. And would you come and pray that somehow what has been given we would be receivers and doers of the word. And so uh, what you get out of this is up to you. It's on you to decide how much you want to engage the word of God and the spirit of God to receive from him today. So uh, you all probably know what today is, by the way. Palm Sunday, you know the story well, but just prior to Christ's crucifixion, he actually had a dinner at the house of a man by the name of Simon, who was a leper who had been healed by Jesus. And at that dinner were some friends of his named Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. And during the dinner at some point, some very expensive ointment, a kind of perfumey kind of ointment, was poured on the head of Jesus. Some people believe it was Mary herself who did it. But some among the disciples were upset about it, saying, wait a minute, we could have taken that ointment and sold it and given it to the poor. And Jesus said these words that really bugged his disciples. 
And I think these words stuck with them for years when they realized what he really meant. He said this, For in pouring this fragrant oil on my body, she did it for my burial. And shortly thereafter, they departed for Jerusalem. And if you would turn to Matthew 21, verse 1, I want to begin reading there. Matthew 21, 1. Now when they drew near Jerusalem and came to Bethphage at the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village opposite you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Loose them and bring them to me. And if anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord has need of them. And immediately he will send them. All this was done that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the prophet, saying, Tell the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you lowly and sitting on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. So the disciples went and did as Jesus commanded them. They brought the donkey and the colt, laid their clothes on them, and set him on them. And a very great multitude spread their clothes on the road. Others cut down branches from the trees and spread them on the road. Then the multitude went before, who went before them, and those who cried out, saying, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is He who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when He had come into Jerusalem, all the city was moved, saying, Who is this? So the multitude said, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth of Galilee. Now, Jesus could have walked into Jerusalem that day 2,000 years ago very easily. It wasn't that far of a walk about 10, 12 miles, it wouldn't have been uncommon at all. But Jesus went into Jerusalem riding in the custom of that day upon the colt of a donkey, a foal of a donkey. And kings would often, when they were making entry into the city, had a choice about how they were going to enter. Sometimes they would ride in upon a charger and they were coming in to conquer and to take charge. But other times, to show that they were coming in peace, they would ride upon a lowly donkey. And that's exactly what Jesus did that day. And he did it according to the word of God to fulfill what the prophet Zechariah had said. And by the way, when it said he did it to fulfill, it doesn't mean that Jesus thought ahead of time, oh, here's what Zechariah said, so I better do this. No, what the writer Matthew is saying to us is Jesus did it and it fulfilled what Zechariah had prophesied. And Zechariah said this in 9.9 of Zechariah, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. He is just and having salvation, lowly and riding on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. Now earlier, especially after the feeding of the 5,000, many times people tried to make Jesus king. For nearly 33 years, Jesus had tried to stay out of the limelight. He had done his miracles, and again and again, he would say to the people, Tell no one. Because he knew that the minute word began to spread, it would begin to hasten the time that was set for him to die. But now at this point in time, he knew the time had come. And he rides into Jerusalem, not as a lowly peasant. He rides in as a king. It's almost as if... uh, and maybe it's just in my mind's eye, I imagine this, but it's almost as if he's looking at the crowd that he knew that in a few short days would say crucify him. 
He's looking at the crowd that would put him in jail and beat him and hang him upon a cross. And he's saying, I want to give you one more opportunity to see me like I really am. I want to give you the opportunity right now to join the parade. And that's really what I want to talk to you this morning about. Joining the parade. He entered Jerusalem royally. <coughs> he entered freely. He wasn't a victim. He wasn't a prisoner. He said, no man can take my life, but I lay it down. He didn't slink into Jerusalem, cringing in fear, but nor did he hurry. He entered in deliberately and purposefully as the king who was coming home to a city, knowing that one day, and that day I believe is coming sooner and sooner, he's going to come again to Jerusalem. And there, all people upon this earth, all people who have ever lived, will bow the knee and declare that he is Christ to the glory of God the Father. That day is coming. I know many people don't believe Jesus is returning anymore. They think we just have to continue to live like this. Then we die and we try to live good lives. But that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says Jesus is going to return again. And he's going to stand in the same place he did there that day when they rejected him. In fact, Jesus said, or John said rather, earlier in his gospel, he came to his own, but his own rejected him. There's going to come a day when no one will be able to reject that he is the king. He is the king of glory. Uh, the scene, by the way, uh, I, I love this scene. I don't know how many of you guys like westerns. Uh, growing up, I used to love uh, Matt Dillon and Gunsmoke and Have Gun, Will Travel, all those kind of old westerns, you know, High Chaparral, all of them. I loved them. But I loved especially the scenes where at the beginning of Gunsmoke, you would have Marshall Dillon standing there and across from him is this criminal and the criminal makes his move and he pulls his gun faster. This is kind of like that. This is like the showdown at high noon at the OK Corral. He's saying, I'm putting my life on the line today. And I'm going to show you who's going to win. Uh, Matthew says, by the way, that we read that the whole city was moved. Or another translation says it was stirred. The Greek word that's used there is the Greek word seismos. From what? we get our word seismograph, which measures earthquake. In other words, the whole city was trembling because of what was going on on this day. And as he neared the city, it says, multitudes, thousands came out and began to throng around him. He's put on a donkey, and they lay their coats on the ground before him. And some climbed up in the trees and began to pull down palm fronds and lay it on the ground. Others waved it because they knew that palm fronds were always the sign of victory and transition. Something was about to change. And whether they knew it or not, victory and transition was riding into Jerusalem that day. Restoration was about to come. And they began to cry out. They said, Hosanna, which Hosanna means save us now we pray. Hosanna, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he that comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Hosanna. Blessed to the king of Israel. The people are shouting to a king, but his garment is no royal garment. It's a simple homespun robe. He didn't wear a crown. 
He just came in sitting on a donkey, no charger. His court is made up of fishermen and hated tax collectors, zealots, terrorists, and the common people. That was his entry that day as he made his way into Jerusalem. And I have to tell you, uh, there's a lot of things I would like to go back and see. I'm hoping, I'm hoping that in heaven, God will replay history for us to view it on the big screen. I want to see it. Because this is one day I would have liked to have gone back to. If I could be one of the legends of tomorrow, I would take that time-traveling machine and I would travel back to that day. Because I would love to see what it was like for Jesus that day as he entered in Jerusalem. Now, interestingly, though all of this is going on that I've just described to you, there was one thing that happened that most people don't even pay attention to. They don't even notice it. In fact, some people go for years and years and never know it's even in the Bible. But in the midst of this great parade, there was like this one moment in time that was an interruption. And the only one who even notes it is the guy by the name of Luke. And it kind of makes sense to me since he's a doctor and I think he's into details. I think they're important to him. He notes this. Luke says this in Luke 19, 41. Now as he, Jesus, drew near, he saw the city and he wept over it, saying, if you had known, even you, especially in this your day, please hear this, if you had known, even in this, especially your day. In other words, you can have a day, but you can miss out on your day. The things that make for your peace, but now they are hidden forever from your eyes. For days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment around you, surround you, and close you in on every side and level you, and your children within you to the ground, and they will not leave in you one stone upon another because you did not know the time of your visitation. I felt like this was such a, a dire warning to us to wake up. Tom prayed it today. It was kind of what I felt. He said, awake, O sleeper. That's what Paul says to us. That we not miss the challenge that the day of God's visitation can't be treated lightly. And you have to be ready for it. The irony, though, is here's the crowds singing, dancing, celebrating, shouting at the top of their lungs about Jesus, but they're paying no attention to Jesus who is sitting on this donkey weeping over Jerusalem. And he wasn't weeping, by the way, because of what was about to happen to him. He was weeping over what was going to happen to the people who were gathered all around him. This same crowd of parade fanatics would the very next day shout, crucify him, crucify him. And he didn't weep because he was going to be crucified. He weeped because of what would happen in their own souls. There were many groups of people in the crowds that day. There were many, as it were, faces in the crowd. But I want to look at just a couple of them today. So if you would follow along, I want to just look at one. I think Jesus wept first for the apostles. True, they had told Jesus that they would go to Jerusalem and die with him. 
They said, where you go, we're going to follow. We will never leave you. We will never turn our backs on you. We will never betray. And Jesus wasn't angry at them because they would soon run away in fear. He wept over them because he knew what would happen to them as they followed him, following his death. I could just imagine him seeing the chains and the prison cells and the beatings. He looked over and there was James. And Jesus, though he was man, was also God. He knew, he knew that James would end his life beheaded with his head carried in a basket and thrown to the crowd. He looked over and he saw Thomas. Thomas, who's excited and happy, and he's throwing stones in the air. He's so excited. And he knew that Thomas would end up in India where he would be stoned for naming the name of Jesus. He looked over at Peter. You know Peter. Peter who had foot and mouth disease, always saying the wrong thing at the right time. You, you know what it's like. You know Some of you are like me. You have foot and mouth disease. You're just constantly saying stupid things you wish you could take back. That was Peter. But Jesus loved Peter. He loved Peter. And he could see Peter there standing, knowing that one day, Peter would stand in a prison cell looking through the bars and see his wife crucified. And he would cry out to her, My beloved, remember Christ. And then when they came to take him, he said, I'm not worthy to be crucified like my Lord. And he begged them to crucify him upside down as if a normal crucifixion wasn't painful enough. Jesus looked at his apostles and he wept because of the price that they would pay to follow him. Jesus had told them he was going to go to Jerusalem and he would die. But as they walked beside him that day, they were celebrating. They weren't thinking any. I, I suspect that when he said, she poured that ointment on me towards my burial, it's like they couldn't, it's like they couldn't get it to their minds. They couldn't somehow process it. And so what do you do when you can't process things? You kind of go into another whole mode. When I'm dealing with things that are too big for me, I tend to go, I go back to the same old things. I, I open a book and I start reading it, hoping it will distract me from what I'm dealing with. Or I might turn on the TV. And this is exactly what the disciples were doing. They were saying, I don't understand it, Jesus. We don't want you to die. We want you to live forever. And because they didn't understand it, they said, well, let's join a bigger parade. Let's make a party. Let's forget all about this death talk. Let's just celebrate. Partying is a lot easier to handle than a funeral. The apostles walked joyfully down the road praising God. And I think Jesus looked at them and he wept and he said, my dear friends, enjoy this moment. Because there will be a day when you will remember this moment and it will bring courage and hope to your hearts again. You'll remember when you stand before tribunals. You'll remember when you stand before kings, when the religious leaders beat you and put you in prison, when they behead you. You will remember that I am the king. Remember this day, my disciples. There were the apostles and then there were the self-righteous, hard-hearted, ruthless Pharisees. We don't see it in Matthew, but Luke tells us that the Pharisees were there that day in the crowd. And you have to know, 
they were watching this parade like hawks. They were watching the parade, but they weren't participating in this parade. Can you imagine, though, knowing the enmity between the religious leaders and what Jesus came doing and proclaiming, can you imagine how that demonstration going into Jerusalem that day fueled their hatred and their animosity? How angry they got? In fact, the Scripture says that at one point in the midst of this loud parade, with everybody shouting at the top of their lungs, way louder than anything we did today, the Pharisees began to shout at Jesus. And they said, Master, tell them to stop it. Tell them to stop shouting. Tell them to lower their voices. They shouldn't be worshiping you. They should worship God. And Jesus says, you can't stop what's going on here. Once they've seen who I am, you can't undo that. And even if they were to stop, even the very stones and rocks would cry out my name and who I really am. The Pharisees were lost in their pride and in their fear. They wanted control. They wanted a religion that they could manage. They wanted everything to be neat and orderly. And I have to tell you, when God shows up, it's not always neat and orderly. Oh, I know he says we should do all things decently and in order, but I think that means his idea of decency and order, not ours. Because sometimes his order is quite different from our order. Just look at what's happened in your life. Did you think you planned that? Ultimately, they got so angry that they began to plan how to kill Jesus. And I want to suggest to you that Jesus wept for them. Jesus wept for the Pharisees because they didn't get it. You can be a religious person and never know Jesus. Never see him as the king. You can be so afraid of what he comes to do in your life that you don't give him control. The Pharisees were afraid and Jesus wept for them. And then there were also another face in the crowd, the indifferent Romans. The Romans actually occupied all of Judea at the time. They, they controlled Israel. Israel was under their thumb. And when there were uprisings, the Romans would come galloping in with their horses and with all their soldiers, with all their shields, with all their swords and spears, and they would manage the crowds. And so when this crowd began to gather, you can be assured that the Romans were there just making sure nothing got out of hand. But they looked at it and they thought, ah, there's nothing here. They're just a bunch of people dancing and singing. They look like fools. It's kind of like what people say about our church sometimes. What are you people doing? Raising your hands and dancing. It just looks foolish. Ah, it has nothing to do with us. And basically they said to Jesus, just stay in your place. You leave us alone. You don't step on our toes and we won't step on your toes. And you can have your little party. So there were the indifferent Romans. But I think the largest group of all, probably the biggest group that had gathered that day, were those who belonged to what I call the rootless, self-focused, self-serving followers. Some were all for Jesus now as long as everything was going the way they thought it should. Yeah, they were ready to make him king, but only because they believed that Jesus as king would do what they wanted him to do. 
You see, they had a plan in mind. And they even had Bible verses to back it up. Their plan was that God would send Jesus the Messiah and He would come and usher in the kingdom of God and overthrow the Roman government. So as long as Jesus did that, they were happy with Jesus. No problem. They loved Him as long as He fulfilled their agenda. As long as He served their needs. As long as He did what they thought was best. But Jesus knew they were rootless. They were shallow. Uh, they were temporary in their devotion. He wept for them because he knew that those same faces that were screwed up shouting Hosanna would the next day shout, crucify him. Yeah, that, that was quite a crowd that day. Um, and I, I have to suggest to you today that though we celebrate this looking back, but the truth is, people still have to deal with Jesus today. Whether you're in the crowd or not, everybody has to somewhere, somehow, sometime, come to grips with Jesus. In the crowd that gathers today, maybe even in this room, there are faces that are very similar to those that gathered that day. Um, maybe you're like the indifferent Romans. You're okay with Jesus. You think he's a good historical figure. He's a teacher. He's a wise man. He did some good things. Maybe he even died just because he loved people so much. So he did some really good stuff in the world. But kind of just leave, you know, as long as he doesn't intrude on my life, I'm okay with him. So maybe you're here today and you're like an indifferent Roman. You want to just be left alone. You're okay with Jesus as long as he doesn't trouble your life. As long as he doesn't upset your apple cart. I want a Savior to get me to heaven, but I don't want one who tells me what to do, who tells me how I should live. Some of you are like the Pharisees. It's possible even for Christians to get angry at the way in which God chooses to run the affairs of your life. Some of you have had some hard things happen to you just this year. You've had some physical challenges, some losses, that have been very painful for you. And inside, though you know He is God and He is the Lord, you've become a little bit resentful, a little bit angry at God. Maybe it's even in your marriage. You, you've gotten mad at God because this one that you gave me, God, it's not turned out the way I thought it would. Maybe you did your best raising your kids and things aren't going well and you're mad at God saying, you promised God that if I raise them right, they wouldn't depart from this, and they have. It's possible, even for Christians, to become disappointed and disillusioned with God. To get angry, resentful. They didn't want to give up their power. They were afraid. They felt like they could control their life better than God could. And how many times have we done the same thing? We make our own plans. And God never enters into it a bit. He said, well, we figure, you know, for the big stuff, I'll bring to God. When the truth is, God wants to be involved with the intimate affairs of our lives. And then maybe some are like the rootless followers. Oh, you, you might come to church when it's convenient for you. 
I get the privilege of standing up here in front of you. Some of you come once a quarter when it feels like, okay, I can do it today. Some of you come for worship because you like to worship, but yeah, the, the preaching's boring. I'm out the door every Sunday. Some of you follow Jesus as long as everything is going well, but when the cares of this life, to use the parable of the sower, become greater than what we can bear, I'm out the door for a while. Oh, you might come back ultimately when you need a Savior again, when you face something bigger than you are, but generally speaking, you feel like you can handle your life pretty well and you don't need Him. You might not be those who cried out, crucify Him, but you have told them, just leave me alone. It's possible that you can say, I need a Savior, but I don't need a Lord. Somebody who's in charge of my life, who tells me how to live, what to do, and you don't want that. The rootless, the indifferent, the ruthless, I want to say to you today, Jesus isn't mad at you. He's not angry because of this stuff. He weeps over it. Because you're missing what he promises, which is life full, life abundant. You're missing out on what he paid the price for. He didn't pay just to get you into heaven. If the only issue was to get you into heaven, he could have just had me hold you under the water a little bit too long when I baptized you. If that's all it was, that's an easy transaction. The truth is he's not trying to get you into heaven. He's trying to get a little bit of heaven into you to change who you are. There are many faces in the crowd, but my question today is, which face are you? Oh, you might put on a good show for everybody here, but you know in your heart of hearts who you really are as you stand before God. What's your face like today? Are you a Roman? A Pharisee? A rootless follower? Or are you one of the disciples, one of the apostles who says, I will follow you. I might not do it perfectly, but I'm going to follow you all the days of my life. Now, that Palm Sunday was over 2,000 years ago. But there's another Palm Sunday yet to come. You do know that, right? There's another day coming in which there will be another parade, and you will have an invitation to it. But the invitation comes in this life, not then. You have to accept your invitation now. Um, we get wedding invitations because it seems like people like to get married in this church. Uh, so Karen and I get wedding invitations. And invariably, it's not enough to get a wedding invitation. The bride and the groom, or the prospective bride and groom, want you to respond. There's almost always an RSVP card. Respond, s'il vous plaît. Right? Okay if I remember my French at all. They want you to respond. Well, that parade that's coming up in years to come, you have to respond in this life. And the parade says this. It's out of Revelation. I put it up on the wall for you. After these things I looked, and behold, a great multitude which no one could number, of all nations, tribes, people, and tongues, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes, with palm branches in their hands, crying out with a loud voice, saying, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. All the angels stood around the throne and the elders and the four living creatures fell on their faces before the throne and worshipped God, saying, Amen. 
blessing and glory and wisdom, thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to you our God forever and ever. Amen. My challenge to you today is maybe you haven't defied him. Maybe you haven't defamed his name. Maybe you haven't resisted him, but you know in your heart of hearts it's time to get off the sidelines and into the parade. Before Easter ever comes, before we declare the truth that Christ is risen, wouldn't it be better to join the parade as a disciple and follow him? Would you bow your heads with me? Just take a moment and be honest with yourself before God. Don't worry about the person sitting next to you and don't let them distract you. This is between you and God. If that parade that we just read about in Revelation were to occur today, would you be in that rejoicing crowd? Or would you be left out? It's not enough to have mere head knowledge. It's not enough to declare the creeds. You have to let those creeds live in you. Your beliefs to be alive in you. You believe that Jesus Christ is the Lord? Good. James tells us the devils believe that too. Or they're not going to find a place in his presence. Where are you today? What face are you in the crowd? And I want to give you an opportunity to make a decision today. If you're here today and you do not know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I don't care how religious you think you are. I don't care how many times you've come to church. I don't care if you were baptized as a baby. None of that ultimately stands for anything. What matters is, do you have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ? If you're here today and you don't know Jesus, don't worry about the person next to you because ultimately they can't stand between you and God. You will stand before God alone. If you do not know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you've never asked him into your heart to take control of your life. And you would like to. I would like to pray with you just to honor what is in your heart. Because the scripture says that when you do that, all of the angels of heaven rejoice. All of heaven stands up and cheers. If that's your heart today, you say, I want to know this Jesus. And I haven't done that before. I'm going to ask you to raise your hands and I'd like to pray with you. You say, I want that. That's in my heart. I want to know the Lord. Okay, thank you. Anyone else? I see that. Thank you. Anyone? Okay. Now, if you're here as well, and you, perhaps, you, you've accepted Christ, but you find that life has hit you hard and you've become disappointed, discouraged, maybe even depressed, because life has not acted as you thought it would, and you've become a little bit resentful, and you know in your heart of hearts that you love God, but you're not close to Him the way you used to be, You've allowed stuff to creep in. And I'm, I'm telling you before God, 
said, if you don't deal with that stuff, if you don't bring even your disappointment and lay it before Jesus, it can short circuit your Christian walk. And you can become like the rootless followers who the next day cry out, crucify him. If you're here today and you know you're not where you need to be with the Lord, that you have allowed stuff to intrude, maybe that's even relationships, as good as relationships are, they can get between us and God. Maybe it's disappointment with work or your health or your family. But you're struggling. You're saying, I, I need to just in this moment draw near to God again. I'm going to ask you to raise your hand and say, I need that. I need to draw back near God. Thank you. You may put your hands down. Anyone else? Thank you. I'm going to ask you if you would stand with me and keep your heads bowed. I want to pray for you. The, the challenge today is to join the parade. But not just as some kind of person who gets caught up in all the hoopla, but someone who actually says, I am going to go with him all the way. And I want to pray for you. I want to pray for you who raised your hand to say, I want to receive Christ. And I want to pray for those of you that said, I, I've allowed stuff to come between me and the Father. So would you bow your heads as I pray for you and if that's you, pray along with me. Father, in Jesus' name, I thank you for every life that is represented here and every face that is in this crowd. And Lord, I know that there are many here today who would say, you know, I I'm not like that. I'm one of the faithful apostles. I'm one of the disciples. I've walked with Jesus all these years and I'm going to keep walking with him. And Lord... You rejoice over that, but you still weep, knowing the things that we go through in this life because of what the fall of man has done on this earth. But there are many here, Father, who have found themselves wandering because of fear, because of hurt, disappointment, and even this one who raised his hand that he wanted to receive you. Lord, today we pray that Christ the Lord would take root in his heart and that he would know forgiveness of sins, cleansing of those sins, and fellowship with God Almighty. Lord, that you would be his Savior and his Lord forever and that he, having made this decision today, would never forget it and never walk away from it. He would set this day down in the annals of history that on April 9, 2017, I received Jesus Christ as my Lord. Let this be a day of rejoicing for Him, I pray. And then, Father, for those who have said, life has gotten on me instead of me on life. I thought I could ride this wild bull, but it's, it's bucked me off too many times. Lord, I pray that they would lay their disappointment, their discouragement, their depression before you. 
And they would once again say, Lord, where you lead me, I will follow. No turning back. No turning back. That we would be faithful followers, not rootless. Lord, we commit this whole Holy Week to you during this Lenten season as we prepare in our hearts celebration, knowing that you are risen. It's not just you were risen. Christ is risen today. So Lord, we're going to come together as a celebrating body next Sunday. We're going to say, Christ the Lord is risen today. Hallelujah. That's our heart cry. We pray it all in the name of Christ. Amen. Amen. Did you want to say something? Oh, okay. All right. God bless you. Have a good rest of your day. Uh, I just need a couple of you up here so that we...